Good morning, church. Um, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take it out and open up to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. And while you turn there, I just want to express uh, my gratitude to Pastor Trenway and to the leaders of CGBC for allowing me this opportunity uh, to open up God's word for you. Uh, the role that this church has played in my life and in my growth as a man and as a pastor is, is really unmeasurable. And so I count this a great privilege. And I also want you to know that, that I, have, I have been thinking about and praying for this church probably more than you know. Uh, especially during seasons of transition, and, and know that, that I continue to think about and pray for, for CG. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. I'm going to read the text for us, and I would invite you to hear now from the word of the living God. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. 
They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask now that you would attend the preaching of your word by your Holy Spirit, that you would take this weighty text and that you would apply it to this church in power. We pray that as a result of encountering you through your word, that we would be a changed people and that we would live to honor you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. At at what point does a boy become a man? Is it at an an arbitrary age, say 18 or, or 21? Does it coincide with a specific event when when he perhaps graduates from high school, uh, when he finally moves out of his parents' house, when he gets married. In some cultures, there are specific rituals that boys must endure in order to be considered men. So in Ethiopia, boys from the Hamar people group must run across the backs of a herd of cows four times without falling in order to be recognized as men. I'm not sure why it's four times and not three, but it's four times. In Brazil, boys from the Satir Mawe people group must stick their hands in gloves that have been woven together with live bullet ants and withstand the pain of being bitten for a full 10 minutes without making a sound in order to be considered men. As a side note, this practice often leaves their hands and arms paralyzed for a number of days. In Kenya, boys from the Okaic people group are, are painted white, covered in charcoal, and then sent to survive in the forest for 24 weeks. And if they return, they are deemed men. Now, I've not experienced anything as exotic or painful as any of those rituals. There is, however, one event that stands out in my mind. As God began to call my dad out of stateside pastoral ministry here at CG and into missions, he began taking more and more trips overseas. Before one of these trips, he took me aside, and instead of of giving me his typical farewell of, I love you, listen to your mom, I'll be praying for you, he said something to me that was distinctly different. He said, I'm going now, son. I want you to take care of things while I'm gone. You're the man of the house now. So so on one level, this was just another one of his, his farewells as he left across the ocean. But on another level, this was so much more than that. Right? It, it was a declaration regarding my role in the family. It was a temporary passing of the torch and all the responsibilities that went with it. In our 
passage this morning, Paul gathers to himself the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he gathers them to himself on one hand to say farewell. But he does something significantly deeper. Paul, the spiritual father of the church in Ephesus, is passing the torch of spiritual leadership to these men. Not temporarily like my dad did, but forever, knowing that he would never see this church again. And as he passes the torch to these men, he calls them to do two things. One, to remember, and two, to emulate his ministry. He calls them to remember and to emulate his ministry. And in light of that, I want to do two main things this morning. First, I want to speak to you who are elders of CG both those who are current elders and those who might aspire to eldership down the road. And and I'm speaking specifically to elders or potential elders because on one hand, that's the group that Paul addresses in our text. He addresses the elders of the church in Ephesus. But second, I'm, I'm speaking to the elders because that's the model of leadership that we see in the New Testament that local churches are to be shepherded by a plurality of qualified elders. And as this text speaks to to the current and potential elders of CG, I want to invite the rest of you to listen in. Because you ought to know what to expect, how to support, and how to pray for the elders of this church. So that's the first thing I want to do. I want to address the elders of CG and invite the rest of you to listen in. But I also want this text to speak to, to speak to all of you, to speak to all of us this morning. For while only a handful of you will ever occupy the role of elder, all of you already occupy some role of spiritual leadership and influence. And many of the same principles we see here apply to you in those roles. So that's what I want to do this morning. Now, I want to break up this text into two main points. First, a model ministry. Second, a staggering responsibility. A model ministry and a staggering responsibility. So, so let's start with Paul's model ministry. And, and under that first point are three kind of sub points, three components of Paul's model ministry. First, his model ministry is exemplified by his exemplary life, an exemplary life. Paul says in the second half of verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Notice that Paul begins generally. So he says, from the first day that I entered into your presence there in Asia Minor until the day I left, you know how I lived. He's saying that my life was an open book among you. I hid nothing about my life from your view. Do you see in the texts there that preposition among? 
how I lived among you the whole time. That, that preposition is key because it tells us that Paul didn't live apart from the sheep that he was shepherding. He didn't live above the sheep that he was shepherding. He lived his life among the sheep. I've heard it put it, I've heard it put this way: that shepherds must smell like sheep. Right? Of all the things that, that an elder is called to do, preach, teach, study, plan, lead, cast vision. The elder is never called to do these things isolated from the church. They, they don't sit in, in ivory towers coming down once a week in order to deliver a word from on high. Shepherds must smell like sheep. Paul continues in verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So here Paul moves from that general statement of, you know how I lived, to two specific things. First, his life was characterized by humility, right? He was a servant leader. That was his leadership style. He led like Christ. He put others and their needs and their ultimate good before his own needs and preferences. Second, he not only talks about his humility, but he talks about the fact that, that these Ephesian elders saw his life when the going got tough. Right? He says, I served with tears and with trials. So he's saying that his life, his character, it was consistent even in the roughest of times. How many of you have ever met someone who seems pleasant and kind when things are going well? And then when something goes wrong, they turn into a completely different person. How do you know someone's true character? Here's how. See what they're like under pressure. Right? See what they're like under difficult circumstances, in the midst of trial, during a global pandemic. And Paul's saying to these elders, you yourselves know this about me. You know my life, you know my character, and you know how I am even in the most difficult and trying of circumstances. You know my life. I've had the privilege of, of pastoring Little Rock Community Fellowship uh, up in Olympia, Washington for seven years now. By most measurements, I'm still a rookie pastor. However, by, by God's grace, when I started preaching through the book of Nehemiah a week ago to get today, I was preaching my 201st sermon, 201 Sunday morning sermons. Do you want to know the, the quickest way I could undermine all 201 of those sermons? Do you want to know the, the quickest way I could undermine the 4,000 or so hours of preparation that have gone into those sermons? By failing in my character. By, by plagiarizing someone else's sermon. By embezzling money from the church. By cheating on my wife. By abusing my leadership in the church. The ability for an elder to either uphold, support, and confirm his preaching and teaching ministry or to, to tear down, erode, and undermine it by his life and character is staggering. 
which means elders of CG and potential elders of CG, it matters desperately how you live. It matters that you live as men of integrity, as men who, who, who live in a Christ-like and exemplary way in your marriages, in your families, in your work, in your relationships, in your online dealings, in your finances, in your recreation, and in your speech. It matters how you live. But this is not just for the elders. This is for all of us who claim the name of Christ. It matters how you live. It matters to those of you who are married to unbelievers. It matters for those of you who have children. It matters for those of you who interact with non-Christians at work, at school, and in your neighborhood. Our character matters. Our actions speak 10 times louder than our words. And our ability to uphold, support, and confirm the gospel that we proclaim, that we proclaim to our unmarried spouse or to our impressionable children or to our non-Christian co-workers, classmates, and neighbors, or to tear down, to erode, and to undermine the gospel that we proclaim is staggering. Our character, our lives, our integrity, they matter. And they matter desperately so. Second, Paul's ministry is not only marked by an exemplary life, but by faithful teaching. It's marked by faithful teaching. The the Ephesian elders not only knew how he lived, but verse 20 says that they knew how he did not shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable. Notice the parallel in verse 25. Remember how Paul said previously that he lived among them? What does verse 25 say? He says, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom. Same preposition there. So Paul saying that he lived among them and he taught among them. That they knew his life and they knew his doctrine. Now notice the, the pairs of words that Paul uses to describe his teaching. First, in verse 20, he taught them in public and from house to house, right? So so this describes Paul's public teaching ministry, probably in the hall of Tyrannus, but also his personal private teaching from house to house. Second pair, verse 21, that he testified to Jews and to Greeks. He is saying that his message, which was faith in Jesus Christ alone, was the same across the board. What what is Paul communicating in these verses? He's communicating that his message didn't change. Right? It didn't change from, from public setting to private settings. It didn't change from, from this audience to this audience. He didn't speak out of one side of his mouth to this group and in this setting, or out of the other side of his mouth to this group and in this setting. Right? Paul was not a politician. Praise God. Right? His life and his teaching were always marked by integrity. Paul summarizes this idea in verse 27 where he says, I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God to you. This idea of shrinking is repeated from verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. 
why, why, why use that verb shrink twice, Paul? Well, he uses that verb twice because implied in it is that there was a temptation for some to shrink, right? There was a temptation for some to withhold, to shrink back from proclaiming parts of God's word, but not so for Paul, right? He proclaimed the whole counsel of God in public and in private to Jews and to Gentiles. So again, Let me speak to the elders and the potential elders of CG. You are responsible for the teaching and preaching ministries of this church, all of them. You are responsible to see to it that in every children's class, that in every youth group meeting, that in every kinship group, that in every sermon preached from this pulpit, that what is being communicated is faithful to the whole counsel of God. And you don't get to skip subjects because they are not readily accepted in our society. You don't get to skip parts of the Bible because you think they are irrelevant to to today. You don't get to pass over key doctrines because they might offend. You must not shrink back from seeing to it that the whole counsel of God is declared in this church. What about to the rest of you? What about to the rest of, of you, CG? Well, I would call you to embrace the whole counsel of God. Or there are certain parts of Scripture that, that resonate with us. There are certain parts of Scripture that we, we loved going back to over and over again. And yet we ought never to let those things distract us from the whole counsel of God. So, so very practically speaking, you, you love to read through the Psalms and meditate on the Psalms. Praise God. Praise God. I love the Psalms. But don't forget to, to spend time delving into the depths of, of the book of Romans. You love to study prophecy and end times from Daniel and from Revelation. Praise God. Praise God. But don't let that distract you from going back to the Old Testament and seeing the ways in which Christ is revealed in the pages of the Old Testament. We, as the people of God, must embrace the whole counsel of God. Paul's ministry consisted of an exemplary life, the faithful teaching of God's word, and third, an unflinching purpose, an unflinching purpose. Notice in verse 22, there is a shift, right? So in verses 18 through 21, Paul focuses on his past ministry, but in verses 22 through 24, he brings the elders up to the present, and he tells them that what awaits him in Jerusalem is imprisonment and afflictions. And notice what he says in verse 23. He says that the Holy Spirit testifies to me and Every city. So so what's happening is Paul is making his way back through Asia Minor to Jerusalem. And he says there that, that in every city he arrives in, the Holy Spirit is telling him that what awaits him in Jerusalem is imprisonment and afflictions. Right? The Holy Spirit is telling him, 
pain and suffering are just around the corner for you, Paul. What does Paul do? Does he say, you know, why don't we stay in Philippi for another three months? Right? Does he say, why don't we go back to Berea? Though the Bereans, they love God's word. Let's go back there for another year or so. Or, or, or does he say, why don't we skip Jerusalem and head to Rome instead? No. Right? Paul is unflinching in his purpose to obey his God. Why? What drives him? Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says that his purpose in ministry is to finish his race and to complete his God-given task. This is so different than the mindset that pervades so many churches and so many pastors, right? His purpose is not ease. It's not comfort. It's not to find the easiest, most comfortable ministry spot available. It's not to avoid conflict or pain or trials or opposition. It's not to make a name for himself. Paul just wants to be faithful to the end, even if the end is as bitter as can be. Don't miss the language of verse 24. We have their accounting language, right? So Paul is saying in verse 24 that he has made a valuation, right? He, he, he took out his Excel sheet and he's made calculations, right? On one side of the scale is the preservation of his physical well-being. And on the other side of the scale is suffering, affliction, and opposition. That will come if he is faithful to complete his ministry. And Paul says, as he looks at these two options, it's not even a contest. My, my physical life, I don't count it, what does he say there, as of any value. I don't count it as precious. I gladly lay it down. Why? Because I want to complete my race. I want to fulfill my ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Elders and potential elders of CG, it is hard to finish the race well. It is hard to complete the ministry that God has given us. All, all the seasons of ministry are filled with pitfalls, but it seems that there are some uniquely dangerous pitfalls at the end of the race. Why, why is that so? Well, what delight do you think the evil one takes in trying to cause men at the end of their ministry to stumble and fall so that he might cast a shadow on all that has gone before? If this is so, elders, you must be unflinching in your focus and your purpose, not on the first day, not in the first year, not in the first decade, but until the very end of your race. You must strive with the power of the Holy Spirit to complete your race, to fulfill your ministry, to testify until your dying breath to the gospel of the grace of God. 
You must finish well. What about you, church? What about the rest of you? Here's my question for you this morning. What is distracting you from the purpose that God has given? You, you may never be an elder here at CG or any other church for that matter. That's fine. But God has still made you to glorify him. Christ has still redeemed you to be his ambassador to the world. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that bring him glory and honor. So, so I ask you this morning, what is distracting you from fulfilling your purpose? What is hindering your race? It is, a, is it a particular relationship? Is it, is a, is it a particular habit? Is it a particular form of recreation? Is it fear or guilt? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the Christian faith? Is it a focus on the temporary, the tangible, and the earthly instead of the eternal and the spiritual? What is distracting you from the race that has been laid out before you? Paul had an exemplary life He was faithful in proclaiming the full counsel of God, and he was unflinching in his purpose to fulfill God's call. This was Paul's ministry. And he calls the elders of Ephesus, and he calls us today to remember it and to emulate it. This brings us to our second major point, a staggering responsibility a staggering responsibility. We see a model ministry and we see a staggering responsibility. The, the baton is being passed. Right? Paul says in verse 25 that he will never see these men again. So what does he want them to do? He gives them two explicit commands. Verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Verse 31, he says, be alert. Of all the commands that Paul could have left with these elders, right? Grow the church, start this program, purchase a building. He gives them these two commands. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock and be alert. That is the staggering responsibility that they are given. And he grounds this responsibility in three reasons. Three reasons. Why, Paul? Why should we take up this responsibility? First, because of God's work. Elders, be faithful in your task because of what God has done. What has God done? Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice in this verse that Paul brings the entire Trinity to bear, right? It wasn't enough for Paul to bring God the Father and God the Son to this speech. He brings all of them. First, he reminds them who made them overseers or elders in the first place. It was the Holy Spirit. So when you hired Tranway to be the English pastor, who did that? Was it, the, was it the other pastors? Was it the executive board? Was it the search committee? Was it the members of CG? I'm not sure 
what the polity of CG is in this regard, but I can tell you with 100% confidence who ultimately made Tranway an overseer of this flock, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Second, notice that, that Paul calls the church the church of God, right? So you have the Spirit, and you have here a reference to God the Father. Remember who Paul is, right? Paul was the man that planted this church, right? Paul planted this church, and then he labored in Ephesus for three years to build this church up. But it's not Paul's church, right? It's not the church of the elders he is speaking to. Whose church is this? This is the church of God. God the Father, you have God the Son. What about our, you have God the Father, you have God the Spirit. What about God the Son? Well, the Greek at the end of verse 28 is a bit confusing. It literally reads, to care for church of God, which he obtained with the blood of his own. What does that mean? Obtained with the blood of his own. Paul's saying that the church in Ephesus is God's church because he paid for it by the blood of his own son, Jesus. He redeemed the church. So you have in this verse, Father, Son, and Spirit, all that work, which means that these elders, the elders of the church in Ephesus, are not in charge of of some human institution or an earthly enterprise. They are stewarding God's very own possession and therefore are to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock. They are to be alert because they're God's work. So elders of CG, current potential elders, do you understand that what you are stewarding here is first and foremost the work of Almighty God? Second, Paul calls them to, to this weighty responsibility, not just because of God's work, but also because of Paul's work. He says, elders, be be faithful in your task because of what I, Paul, have done. This is is a far less important reason, but look at how Paul in this section appeals to the foundation that he laid. Verse 31 says, be alert. Why? I, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul's highlighting in that verse his tireless work to plant, to water, and to grow the seeds of this church. The, the image I get is of Paul as a spiritual father. Right? And he's taking his sons by the shoulders and saying, now, now I've worked hard on this project for three years. And I want you to keep that in mind as I hand it off to you. And he he does so in light of this uniquely emotional relationship he has with them. Look down at verses 37 and verse 38, right? He, He says speech to them. He kneels down and he prays with them. And then verse 37 says, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Verse 38, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. If you skip forward to verse 1 of chapter 
uh, 21, it says, and when we had parted from them, uh, the Greek there is actually a lot stronger than there. It, it should read, and when we had torn ourselves away from them. These elders loved Paul dearly. He was their spiritual father, losing him, like losing their own dad. And, and he, he appeals to this relationship when he says, be alert, be watchful, remembering how I, your spiritual father, labored for the past three years to get this church to this point. Friends, it is a, a weighty thing to stand in, in this pulpit, in this spot, because I know that for nearly three decades, my dad stood here. And I've heard the stories. Even yesterday, we were talking about it. I've heard the stories of the previous seven decades of men and women who have, humanly speaking, shed their blood, sweat, and tears to plant this church, to build this church, to preserve this church, so that someone like me could stand here today. And so I want to appeal to you who are in my generation or the generation right above me or below me, those of you who are coming into your own place of leadership here at CG, my encouragement to you is may you never forget the generations of men and women that sacrificed and served and gave of them themselves to build this church, humanly speaking. We are stewards first and foremost, of the work of God, but also we are stewards of the tireless labors of God's past servants. We must never forget that. Paul says to the elders, stay alert, be on your guard, keep watch, first because of God's work, second because of my, Paul's work, and third and finally because of the trials that await. He says to these elders, be faithful in your task because of the enemies. Verses 29 and 30. I know that after much your fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You'll notice in these verses that Paul speaks here of two sets of predators. Right? Verse 29, he speaks of wolves coming into the church from the outside. And what will these wolves do? They will do exactly what wolves do when they come among sheep. They will devour and destroy the flock. And then in verse 30, he speaks of men arising from within who will speak twisted or perverse words in order to draw the disciples away. And what punches me in the gut every time I read these verses? Verse 29 is, is expected. But in verse 30, it seems that Paul is insinuating that these men will arise from the very group of elders to which he is speaking. 
right? What does the text say? And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. And I read this text, and I want to say to this text, not from the elders, right? Not, not from these men that you are warning, Paul. Not from these men that you chose, that you trained, that you invested in for years. Not from these men who will weep and kiss you upon your departure. Surely not from them, Paul. But this makes sense. Because Paul begins verse 28 by saying, pay careful attention to yourselves. Brothers and sisters, I hope this never happens here. I hope no elder of this church ever goes astray. I hope no elder of this church ever leads those within this church to ever go astray. Elders and potential elders, may this be a sobering warning to you. You must be vigilant. You must watch yourselves. You must watch your hearts. You must watch your lives. Church, this is a reminder that the most important thing about any man who becomes a leader in this church is his character. It is also a reminder about how you should fervently how you fervently should be praying for your elders. Friends, I hope and pray that this never happens here at CG. I know church history. I've seen this scene play out over and over in the history of the church, both the distant and the not-so-distant history. So how do we conclude this morning? Well, here's how we'll conclude. First, I pray that the elders of this church, both now and for as long as this church is around, would be exemplary in their lives, faithful in their teaching, and unflinching in their purpose. But I pray even more so that you, Chinese Grace Bible Church, would ultimately look not to human leaders, but to the chief shepherd. That you would look to the elder of elders, to the overseer of overseers, to the pastor of pastors, to the one who laid down his life for this church and purchased her with his blood. For while every elder this church ever has will let you down eventually, This pastor is one that will never let you down, that will never lead you astray, that will never take advantage of you, that will never fail morally, that will never use his position to devour and destroy you. No, Jesus is the one who shed his own blood to purchase for himself a bride, this church. So look to Jesus. Chinese Grace Bible Church, may you always look to and hope in, ultimately, not any human leader, but to Jesus Christ, the chief and perfect shepherd who bought this church with his blood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this text. It is a sobering reminder of the weighty responsibility of leading a church as an elder.
And yet, despite the things that we've seen and hear, we are reminded that ultimately every human leader will eventually let us down. And so our hope is not ultimately in our human leaders, but our hope is ultimately in the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so I commend Chinese Grace Bible Church to him, to the chief shepherd, and to the word of grace that he might build this church up to glorify him for many, many decades to come. We pray this in his name. Amen.